We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your guest host, Ross Darrell Feingold. I'm joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Biras from Now Media China Post. Welcome, Dimitri. Hi, good evening. And Xiao Xinxiang, advisor to legislator Freddie Lim. Hey, good to see you, Ross. Thanks for coming. Tonight, we'll be discussing the visit to Taiwan of a delegation led by Czech Senate President Miloš Vistrich, controversial remarks by the National Zhengzhou University president, a Japan-Taiwan travel corridor amid the pandemic, sort of a new China policy for the Kuomintang, and Taiwan's new passport cover design. But we'll begin with President Tsai Ing-wen's decision last Friday to allow U.S. beef and pork with the additive ractopamine to enter the Taiwan market. We spoke with a U.S.-based pig to get their views on the possibility of entering Taiwan. And that was the U.S. pig giving his views on coming to Taiwan soon. He sounds very excited. So, Xiao, what's the view from across Taiwan's political parties, whether Kuomintang, Minjindang, uh, independent legislators such as uh, Legislator Lim? How do they feel about the government decision? Well, um, there's a variety of opinions, right? But number one, this is a bombshell announcement, right? Basically because Taiwan has uh, been stuck on this issue for for decades. Um, And I've also talked about this issue on this show, on this very show about sometime last year. So this is not a new issue. Um, But one thing... um, that, that that is certain is this actually took everyone by surprise, right? Because uh, the 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 Thai administration really defended leaks very well this time, so nobody knew much about the the coming of uh, this announcement just right before she actually said it. So you can see that the Kuomintang scrambled to uh, to form a, a position. Um, they of course they jump on the, the extreme, you know end of the spectrum and calling that um, that the, the, the government is you know sabotaging people's health by importing um, almost to a point to saying that they import poisonous you know pork right um, so th- that, that is on extreme end of the spectrum and also there's some um, opinions by um, for example uh, Kerwinger she said that oh, what did the president get from this exchange implying that the president is actually politicizing um, people's health in order to get something from the US and also the the, the opinion from MPP is that um, they said the government really need to you know uh, show strong scientific proof before uh, making this uh, this decision so there are a variety of uh, opinions from the political spectrum and but in general I, uh, I what I see is, you know, the people on the ground. They, they, uh, they understand that uh, the 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 administration wants to, you know, open up the, the trade, and then based on, you know, uh, the scientific tolerance levels of rectopamine. So this is really good, um, good direction. Because whether you want to import or, or ban the import, you you have to base your decision on some sort of scientific standard, right? You cannot just say it's it cannot just based on political environment or, or sentiments at a time. Dimitri, though, has the science changed or the science has always basically been the same as far as the U.S. side saying uh, this is the amount that's used, it's considered healthy in some countries, not all countries. Uh, 
is it fair to accuse the government of hypocrisy because they criticized the Ma government when the Ma government allowed beef with the, some of this additive into Taiwan several years ago? Well, the, the standards have been in place for years, so it's really look. It's really depends how you look at these standards. But in a very convenient way, right now we may see it in a in a more fav- favorable uh, light. We see it as it potentially more potentially more interesting or uh it, it, it's it's a three-step tango uh first we allow uh beef uh, some port products to enter taiwan that will kickstart the negotiations for a future potential trade agreement with the united states and then from there there might be even more benefits in the future the government had this plan and well-planned way in advance yesterday uh, the Council of Agriculture uh, suddenly announced that they will open the livestock industry to migrant workers in order to solve what they call now the uh, labor shortage problem, which means that authorities will help producers actually cut down labor costs ahead of the plan opening of the meat market just to make local producers more competitive on the market. So knowing that we already have like 700,000 foreign workers, blue-collar workers in Taiwan, um, the government is basically planning maybe to go above the 800,000 benchmark, knowing that, uh, well, importing these products might not necessarily benefit the public, might not maybe create more business opportunities or new jobs in Taiwan, but that might benefit the government's policies and maybe this line, they, uh, this objective they have. So, well... Uh, we hope that on the long term, well, the public, the foreign workers, everybody will benefit from this. But on the short term, it's obviously the government who is going to benefit the most. So, Xiao, was this always about uh, science and the health of consumers or was this simply about trade protectionism to protect Taiwan's pork industry? Because uh, you know, most analysis indicates that, as Dimitri uh, discussed, they do produce at a higher cost, even if the quality is good. But cost-wise, they can't compete with the big uh, industrial producers in the U.S. That's right. I, of course, when you comes down to the uh, root of the uh, issue, it's, it's the certain degrees of uh, you know protectionism involved, right? Um, but when it comes to the government's decision to open import, I mean, we really have to look at um, what kind of standard this decision is based on, um, because there's already been, just like Dimitri said, there's always been a long-established international standards on the uh, rectopamine levels in, in, in ported beef and porks, right? Um, so if Taiwan is going to be a, a, a responsible member of this uh, international trade community, we have to adhere and also um, set it as an as a internal standard for our um, you know, trade policies. So we cannot just, you know... Um, Based on the you know the political environments to decide whether we're gonna import or, or ban the import of certain product, we have to make sure that Taiwan is uh, uh, operating on, on international levels. And then w- why today though, or, or this week, this month? Why not a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Well, that that is the you know entirely on the uh, um, the the. the schedule agenda for the Thai administration, right? Because she feels this is the right moment in time. It's uh, After she got reelected. After she got ready. (laughs) It's still kind of far away from the next election. So this allows enough time for this uh, issue to simmer and then to, uh, to propagate. 
Dimitri, how, how do you see this issue playing out uh, with all the, the various stakeholders, uh, consumers, farmers, uh, trade negotiations? Well, the issue for some of time for the president's supporters who are among like these producers, like the uh, agricultural sector, might be uh, maybe take they were taken by surprise by the announcement. But we can see that the relations between uh, the United States and China have changed over the past few months. And I believe maybe the administration sees a window of potential fast improvement in bilateral relations between Taiwan and the United States prior to the presidential election in November. So by pushing on this issue right now and looking maybe towards in a different direction just to have these uh, legislation passed, maybe that could maybe help again the administration to quickly win uh, major, a major trade deal between not only uh, the United States and Taiwan, but also between Taiwan and the UK. Because I don't know if you know, but a few days ago, during uh, uh, a legislative session in the UK, there were someone was asked again about potential trade negotiations between Taiwan and the UK. So, well, well, the interesting thing there is actually Taiwan opened its market to pork from the UK two years ago. So uh, maybe the UK has some hurt feelings because uh, I thought they'd have some market advantage in Taiwan versus the US. Uh, now <laughs> the US pork is going to come in. I'm going to ask both of you guys to, to try to make a prediction. Do you expect Donald Trump to go to Iowa, which is a battleground state, and say, I open Taiwan to your pork. Vote for me. <laughs> Of course. Of course <laughs> okay. Of course. All right. We have Xiao on record as saying <laughs> President Trump will mention Taiwan in Iowa. Dimitri, you care to take a guess? I don't know if he's going to make it the announcement there because the Taiwan market is wee small compared to the uh, Chinese market. But in the course of the election over the next few weeks, they will find many opportunities to mention that issue, saying that he supports democratic Taiwan against China. After the election, whoever wins, we know that maybe things are going to change again. So that's why the window is open now, and it, it will be closed in November. Well, speaking of <clears throat> democracies and supporting fellow democracies, a few days ago, a large delegation, around 90 persons, led by Czech Senate President Milos Vistril, arrived in Taiwan, the highest level visitor from Czech Republic, or Czechia, as they sometimes uh, are called, uh, to ever visit Taiwan. Various memorandums of understanding have been signed throughout the week, and China reacted with very harsh criticism and threats of retaliatory action against Czech companies or bilateral trade. And notably, the prime minister and president of Czechia did not support the visit. And here in Taiwan, much attention was given to the Czech Senate president's speech to the legislative UN, where he said, I am... Taiwanese. Dimitri, uh, we'll turn to you as a European, and, and there was a lot of uh, talk from various European countries about unity, and we don't like the way China is, is criticizing one of our European, fellow European countries. What's the significance of the visit? Well, it uh, it's, has a huge significance, but it's also interesting, again, how this was an extraordinary reversal of the Chinese Czech in the Chinese Czech relationship because this trip was actually planned months ago and uh, or the, the, uh, uh, earlier this year and because of the COVID nineteen crisis, the the trip was postponed 
And the previous uh, Senate leader is actually pro-China. So in this turn of event, because of COVID-19, this new Senate leader who came to Taiwan and he's taking a risk. He's betting on this future development of, of bilateral relations. But uh, it also shows maybe that the promised business opportunities between the Czech Republic and China maybe never materialized. And some reports show that actually Taiwan has invested 14 times as much in the Czech manufacturing uh, in the Czech Republic manufacturing sector than China. So this shows maybe this closer relationship between Taiwan and the Czech Republic in the first place. Xiao, you see a lot of visitors come to, foreign visitors come to Taiwan in, mm-hmm. in, in, in your work uh, with legislators. Uh, they all come and say great things and how much they love Taiwan. But what does it mean substantively after all the excitement of their visit ends and they leave Taiwan? Um. Well, this is definitely different than the previous visit, right? Because this is the highest level um, from uh, uh, from Czech, from a foreign country we we don't have uh, diplomatic relations with. Um, and just like you said, the, the, the phrase I am Taiwanese is, resonates very widely uh, in Taiwanese society, right? Because Taiwan seldomly re- uh, receives such recognition from, uh, from any international bodies, right? Because... Previously, what we get is rejection after rejection after rejection to join any international communities or organizations. So having such a, a Senate leader come into Taiwan and spoke such a sentence of uh, identifying, you know, Taiwan's predicament in the, uh, the in a political situation uh, in the phrase "I'm Taiwanese" is really, really. Um, it's really strong. I mean, in in terms of helping, you know, the, the Taiwanese psyche of uh, be, feeling being left alone. So I, I mean, uh, speaking of the after, you know, after effects of this visit, I would say it really brings you know the whole Taiwanese self confidence up a notch, right? But Xiao, you're, 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 you strike me as a very confident guy. <laughs> Did you need the Czech Senate president to come here to make you feel more confident? Well. I, well, probably not, I probably don't, but, but as a Taiwanese, I certainly we we certainly do need such a pat on the back, right? Because we we have been you know prior to twenty twenty, you know this is there's really not much good things happening internationally for Taiwan. Um, so th- this is really great, and especially when uh, the, the the Senate leader comes under such enormous pressure from China, right? Because we we in the, in the past we already see that people back out of um, supporting Taiwan because of Chinese government says so and so companies you know cross Taiwan off their country list just because you know the, the Chinese spokesperson you know objected so this is the norm in Taiwan but and right now we see that people you know defy Chin- Chinese government's wish and visit Taiwan this is truly a first uh- Dimitri, continuing on that, uh, in the Czech system, technically the Senate president ranks high in the line of succession to the to the president, but practically, actually, because it's the upper house, his powers are somewhat limited compared to the president and the prime minister. Do you expect any substantive follow-up? For example, is, is Czechia going to advocate for Taiwan's uh, participation in international organizations, or this is just one politician off on his own? I think we should go one step at a time. 
But we could see that uh, because the Czech Republic also received the backup from the United States to make this visit. I mean, as a reporter, we are often invited to meet politicians from across the world who visit Taiwan. And Taiwan has maybe, I, I remember uh, a dinner, for example, with the Senate leader from Belgium who came to Taiwan a year or two ago. It was a private dinner. It was private. It was low key. So in the first time in a while, we have this huge delegation coming at the invitation of Taiwan. So without proper backing from the government, from the United States, I don't think that something could have happened before. So we might see maybe more delegations or this kind of uh, uh, high-level delegations coming to Taiwan because maybe also the United States is pushing towards a more confrontational uh, attitude uh, towards China and would support such a move in the future. Do you expect more Taiwanese to visit the Czech Republic after this visit by well, the Senate president? They've been visiting often, so I believe they will continue to do so. Mm. Yeah. Staying with the visit of the Czech delegation, when they came to National Zhengzhou University earlier in the week, school president Guo Mingzheng said that 400 years ago, Taiwan was a primitive society, and he even used a Mandarin idiom, Ibubiti, which some people interpreted to mean that People were dressed in rags. This was seen as kind of unfriendly, to say the least, to Taiwan's aboriginal indigenous communities. And the school president tried to explain it away by saying, well, I meant they were kind of like uncut jade, but they were still great, even though they weren't dressed in proper clothing. Xiao, I, I know, uh, you know indigenous rights is something that you and legislator Lim have, have looked at. Um, and, and just making Taiwan a, a more diverse society and supporting greater diversity. What happened here? I mean, why, why do people in, in positions of influence, and this is a very important, highly regarded university, well, why do these comments still get made in the public space in Taiwan? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's really regretful that, yeah, just like you said, such a person of influence, you know, express such a sentiment. Um, that is just so outdated, right? Because I, I remember, you know, hearing this kind of uh, uh, characterization of uh, Taiwan's past societies in this light, you know, often when I was a kid. Because cause this is pretty much the so-called Chinese-centered, you know, ideology of, of, of characterization of Taiwan. So it's not only just 400 years ago, people think, you know, indigenous people are uncivilized, you know, those these people even think that the Taiwanese before the you know the Chinese came over with the Kuomintang, we were uncivilized. We we didn't have any. Um, we don't have light bulbs and stuff like that. So this um, Chinese-centered ideology or hist historical characterization of Taiwan is really you know harmful to Taiwan's identity or diversification of Taiwan's culture, right? Because uh, when you think about Taiwan as opposed to uh, a, a, lineage from the Chinese culture, we have a very diverse uh, history. We have uh, not only indigenous people, we have the, 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 the you know, the Minnan people, we have uh, the Kerja people, we have, and right now we have a lot of people from foreign countries who identify Taiwan as their home. So I don't think this is, um, th this sentiment helps any bit in this direction of diversifying Taiwan. Dimitri, was it an uh, overreaction or was the criticism justified? I think it was justified, and then the appropriate thing to do in this situation is to apologize first. You, you're buying into his apology, or yeah. you thought it was kind of weak? Well, maybe. Uh, it's the thing is, uh, I like what you said about foreigners in Taiwan, but Taiwan is strange in a way that you... Uh, 
organize and not not it's not about your rights, but you've seen in Taiwan society, depending on when you arrive in Taiwan, I'm called a new migrant. I've been here for 20, 20 plus years. So people coming after me will be new, new migrants. And it's been this ongoing find for years to find who came here first. And the name Taiwan has been used for years to create, and we have this now this divide between who is Taiwanese and who is not, and the Taiwanese identification. It's, it's something very important and strong in Thai politics. But the problem is the true indigenous people, the Taiwanese people, they are the indigenous people. And we took away maybe their land, their rights, their culture, but we even took out their name. And that shows how maybe the Taiwanese, the indigenous people in, in Taiwanese society nowadays, uh, there are less indigenous people in Taiwan than new migrants, foreigners. Uh, new migrants in Taiwan plus their families, it's like one million people. According to what you said er- yeah. earlier, there's going to be more workers on pork farms too. Foreign blue-collar workers, <laughs> yeah. it's like 700,000 people. Indigenous people, is barely 500,000 people. So... Uh, we hope, yes, that we could maybe give them uh, a better exposure in Taiwan society and maybe stop using the word Taiwan as a divide between who came first, whether you're new migrant, an old migrant, or a very old one. It doesn't make much sense. Uh, if you take, for example, the United States or other countries, as long as you've been in Taiwan for a couple of years, or in a country in the United States for a couple of years, you're an American. We shouldn't call you a migrant anymore. Xiao, how, how would you assess the reaction of students? You know, keeping in mind this occurred at the university. So sure, there's a lot of online criticism of, of what the school president said, but that's broader, people in broader society that could be from different, different walks of life. Does this kind of, you know, the, the being wrong, what the, the, the school president said, do, do young people realize that? When I say young people, I mean university age, 20-year-olds. 20, 20 do, do they also appreciate that, why this is wrong? Uh, some of them do. So some of them really um, have, you know, come to understand how how much this hurts, you know, Zheng Zidashi's image, right? So some of them actually voice their, their opinions. But, but but I think it's correct to say that most, you know, college students are not, you know, not aware of how how much this uh, this really hurts, you know, the so-called diversification of Taiwanese culture and. All that, so it's still yet to see how how much the young people really, you know, are concerned about what because you we see a lot of you know school presidents say a lot of things that, that <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not gonna name names, but um yeah we we, we really need to hold um, these people just like you said person of influence really accountable to what they say in public. We have to take a short break now, but we'll be back after these commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. Starting on September 8th, there will be some minor adjustments to the strict rules governing travel between Taiwan and Japan. Taiwan business travelers going to Japan, if they provide a negative PCR test within 72 hours before departure, and they test again at the Japanese airport, and they quarantine for 14 days in Japan, will be able to actually emerge from all of these procedures and conduct a a business trip to Japan. Also, Japan announced that they will allow foreigners, including from Taiwan, who have resident status in Japan, to enter the country, again, subject to PCR tests and 
other requirements, which was a relaxation granted to nationals of other countries as well. Dimitri, we'll, we'll start with you because there was some controversy a few, a few weeks ago when the EU issued its list of approved countries to enter uh, the EU and Taiwan wasn't on it. There were these questions about reciprocity because Taiwan is still requiring quarantine. Uh, is, is this a significant change for Taiwan and Japan or is it just a minor opening that will only uh, help a few small number of travelers? Well, people, things come and go pretty fast right now. So I don't think it's not it's not about which country, it's about more which region. We talked a few weeks ago, we heard about potentially maybe Thai people would come to Taiwan. Then it was South Korean, uh, Hong Kong people. And then something happened. There was like the situation right now in South Korea is getting worse and worse. Uh, the same with New Zealand who had some issues last month. So on a short-term basis, well... Obviously, the authorities had private conversations and they made an announcement. Now, I'll wait maybe maybe wait until September 8th to see whether it's going to happen or not. The situation in Japan right now is barely stable. Xiao, do you, uh, uh, do you, do you see a, a lot of uh, desire um, in politics, legislators, for example, to encourage the government to open up quicker or... Do you see a more conservative view that they're not so eager to open up to other countries, whether for business or, or tourism, entering Taiwan? Oh, we're definitely very conservative here because um, internationally it doesn't look like it's stabilizing quite soon. Although it's much better than a few months ago, but um, but still we are still one of the safest places on earth, so we are not in any hurry, right? But but in terms of opening border, that that we definitely take a conservative view. But in terms of visiting Japan, I mean, not not in politics, but. Friends around me are people are crying out to to visit Japan. I mean, they just can't wait. I mean, people are moaning that oh, I I so want to go back to Japan as if <laughs> like they because we Taiwanese people love to visit Japan. So this is encouraging development, right? So what Japan is opening up for business travels. So um, soon probably uh, the, the, just for in general travel that they, they, they will soon to be open. So this this is a good sign. And um, so we we we'll wait and see. Do you think there's any connection between this and the, the recent visit by the former prime minister to pay his respects uh, following Lee Dunghoi's death? Is, there, is this like the pork with Alex Izar's visit? There, is there any trade-off going on here with Japan? Um, I, I wouldn't think so, though, because in terms of pandemic, I mean, both governments are extremely careful, right? Because we don't, we don't want to, you know, reckless open and then have any uh, new cases, then then they would have uh, a hard time with the opposition pouncing on that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this is they are taking their time. Mm. D- Dimitri, do you, do you anticipate Japan uh, treating Taiwan differently going forward, such as, for example, tourists from Taiwan? Not on the short term. I don't think so. Uh, because uh, they're equally conservative and they're changing their prime minister anytime soon. So maybe they might have, they need further discussions because before they move forward with uh, opening their... Are you saying uh, it might be political as well? Not not just a health-based, science-based decision? It's always political. <laughs> so, yeah. Speaking of political, the Guomindang is going to hold a party congress this Sunday to approve an internal reform package and new China policy. The new China policy has eight 
different parts, which is probably eight parts too many for many voters in Taiwan. But most significantly, perhaps, was that they are still retaining adherence to the 1992 consensus. And there's wording in their new policy that it's the basis uh, within the scope of the ROC and the ROC constitution, but it's the basis for continued interactions with the People's Republic of China. Xiao, how is this going to go down with the public? Well, not not very well. I mean, this doesn't look like Kuomintang has changed at all, right? Because the the new chairman Zhang Xichen, he, you know, came on board promising a, a new Kuomintang, right? Like a new and young Kuomintang who is gonna appeal to the younger voters. And 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 looking at this eight point, I don't see any point that that is gonna accomplish that, especially the ninety two consensus, right? Because um, Kuomintang has had a hard time winning the voters' ap- approval, especially under this current climate. Who are uh, you know Chinese being increasingly more authoritarian, and the inter- international community has become you know increasingly aware of uh, Chinese you know threat to uh, to 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 peace and war order, right? Because and and it, it seems that the only one who is you know. Left in the past is Kuomintang. They still adhering to ninety two consensus, especially with the different interpretations clause. I mean that is just so in the past. I mean even China government has said that they don't agree with the uh, the different interpretation. There's only one China. There's no different interpretation. The one China is PRC, uh, but only anywhere in the world it's only. Kuomintang is interpreted one China as a, as a PRC and an ROC. So this is just so much in the past. I don't know how to you know how to comment on this. <laughs> Dimitri, did the Kuomintang get it wrong by retaining the ninety two consensus and each side with its own interpretations and uh, the other aspects of of their cro- new supposedly new cross strait policy? Well, the 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 Kuomintang, the opposition party, is going through a transition in leadership from the. Uh, uh, more senior leaders in the party, like, for example, former President Ma Ying-jeou, to the new leaders today. And to say that they have a different views of their potential relationship with China. So they're using this time to go through trying to redefine uh, their relationship with China. So in trying to move away from the 1992 consensus, which was well received at first and then less uh, well, wasn't that? I agree with you. Was not that successful in improving the relationship with China. They're trying to redefine this now into the ECFA-centered consensus, which I think it's equally controversial because the whole story of the adoption of the ECFA that turned out the occupation of the legislative UN, uh, using the ECFA to redefine and redefine this relationship with China, it's going to be, I think it's a lot, it's going to be a lot of work, very complicated, and it might not be maybe well received by the young Taiwanese people that they are trying to attract into the party. So it's going to be a long process. It's going to be a painful process. Maybe maybe more mistakes and, and failure in the near future before the opposition, the opposition party can just uh, move forward. Xiao, uh, as Dimitri mentioned, there was references to the ECFA and specifically there were references to the trade and services of the traded goods agreement. Is there any appetite among the public or politicians, other than Kuomintang politicians, for for revisiting that? Well, I'm feeling like 2014 all over again, you know, there's the sunflower movement and yeah. all that. Um, yeah, it's, 
looking at this, you can just see that the, the intra-party politics of Kuomintang, you know, the the the, 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 the people who favor, you know, uh, the, the you know the, the new new Kuomintang has definitely lost, right? Because if you read this, you can see Ma Angel's hand all over the place, even talking about ECFA. ECFA is one of his centerpiece of his uh, administration. So you can just see that this is uh, the old guard of Kuomintang coming back to, you know, to take hold of uh, the, the party. But um, we just like, yeah, the ECFA is really not going to return because people are never going to, you know, trust a, a, a trade deal with China under the current, you know, environment. Dimitria, uh, other than the 92 consensus part and the different interpretations, whether or not China accepts that part, is there anything else in, in the, this policy that uh, China will like or, or feel is a basis to talk with Taiwan? Well, I can't see much right now, really. I'm kind of a um, I do understand the need of create a new basis for attracting young leaders to the party, but it would be complicated first for the party to reach to Chinese authorities right now and make a, any kind of proposal because they're not in power, obviously. Uh, because of the situation, the COVID-19 crisis, it's also, well, impossible to, to even though they have good connections, but traveling to China, uh, we've heard about a potential... Uh, cross-strait forum uh, across the Taiwan Strait to discuss such issues, but the the ruling party is not open to uh, any kind of discussions right now. So it's going to hard for the KMT right now to push on this agenda. I would maybe strongly suggest them to move forward to emphasize about the benefits, the impact of a, maybe a trade agreement with the United States and stuff like that. To mo- to bring young people to understand that the future for them is to find better jobs, being better paid. Uh, whether it's within China or not, it's not the issue on a short-term basis right now. The China issue is not going to help you win any kind of election. Xiao, so, speaking of cross-strait interactions, well, one of the things on the list of, uh, or part of their policy was to say that uh, non-government interactions should be okay and, and we, we shouldn't restrict those. Seems to be a response to last year's uh, anti infiltration law. Is, is the, the Kuomintang worried that the, the government is going to be targeting uh, all sorts of interactions with China? Uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the worries, right? Because um, first of all, I mean, the, the, the Anti-Infiltration Act does not target, you know, uh, normal day-to-day interactions between, you know, civil organizations from Taiwan and China, right? Um, what they target is the uh, the, the the money behind such uh, interaction that is geared toward influencing politics in Taiwan, especially you know the the, the disinformation campaigns, you know the the the, the so-called Wang Jun, the, the the internet armies that's gonna sway the opinions uh, before Taiwan's elections. So this is what the, the, the actually the act targets. So if the Kuomintang does not you know does not try to be a, a, a uh, you know, advocate for, you know, Chinese influence in Taiwan. I don't think they have anything to worry about. Mm. Well, speaking of not having to worry, Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs this week unveiled the new cover design of the passport. And this is to address the worries that travelers have that they'll be misidentified as coming from the People's Republic of China. To achieve this goal, the words Republic of China in English have been dramatically reduced in size on the passport cover. They're so small, I I needed glasses and a microscope to to read them. Uh, And the new passport design will be available from January 
2021 and followed a legislative UN resolution in July calling on the government to change the passport and also change the name or the logos of China Airlines. Dimitri, should people be excited about the new passport design? Well, many people are excited. I'm just less excited. I just look at it. I see maybe it looks more like a a high school history class uh, project made with scissors and glue. It's it doesn't have any ambition. And one political party even organized a design competition. Competition. They provide some very interesting. Uh, they made some very interesting suggestions. But when it comes to national symbols. We should be more careful and take more time. I'm not, I'm not arguing about the fact whether we should do it or not. That's up to the government to do it. But if we do it, let's do it carefully. When you look at the new passport, uh, I don't know if you, if you have. I checked my passport recently. The name passport, that's the name of the official document. So the font for passport is usually big, bigger than the name of the country. And so when we look at this new passport, what we call, what we see, it's a called a Taiwan. It's like on your country, it's called passport. It doesn't, it, it's the, the logic is inverted. Also, the fonts, why do we have uppercase for Taiwan? It's like you scream it, Taiwan, when you just take your passport out. Then you just play with the logo and the name Republic of China. It's three times, I think, in the circle. What, what's the point? You're going to piss off someone. It's Republic of China, Republic of China. What would you say? <laughs> three times. So when I see this, I'm extremely concerned about the rebranding proposal of the, the Ministry of Transportation that would be unveiled at the end of the month for China Airlines. When I see this, I see a plane with big letters, Taiwan screaming, or even LED lights flashing. <laughs> When it comes to national symbols, we need to ha- act very carefully and take time to do things. But the other thing I didn't like about this this week is the fact that this week was the Taiwan Armed Force Day. And it's a very important day, actually, because this day was established, National Day was established 75 years ago when the Republic of China won the war against Japan. And this is a national symbol. And the story is funny because the Taiwanese, you guys, you won the war against Japan. But this week, and it's again the national symbol, Xi Jinping attend a a big international event and show the world that the People's Republic of China won the war against Japan. He made very important speeches. And again, we twist those national um, uh, symbols China, Communist China didn't win the war against Japan. Taiwan did. That's a funny thing, and actually nobody knows about it. Nobody wants to remember it. The um, Taiwan military released a, a promotional video on Tuesday, a very nice video, and didn't even mention that. It's forgotten. And it's sad that me as a foreigner, I have to remember that. And you, so many people, young people, don't have a clue about it. So why did the national emblem remain on the passport cover? I, you know, a lot of people confuse it with the Guomindang's party emblem. They, they are similar. The only difference is the length of the, the rays of, of, of the sun. Uh, why, why was that cap? Why didn't they just take that off as well? Well, well, first, I have to say I'm among a group of people who are very, very excited about the, the passport change, right? Because I, uh, I have been in the United States for, for the past 18 years. I, I, I went there to study when I was in high school. So I carry the passport that has uh, Republic of China on it for 18 years, although I did not encounter any problems going through the customs. But it already always made me self-aware when I'm 
at the airports, right? Because I don't want to leave out when I take out my passport. I don't want to leave it out in the open for much longer time when when necessary. I already put it back in my in my bag because I don't want people to see that I, there's a China on my passport. So, so th- this change is really you know long awaited. It, it is really long overdue. Um, and to answer your question, why it's changed in such a minimal way? It's because the government wants to you know. Just like Dimitri said, do it one step at a time to minimize, you know, the uh, the backlash because this is such a thorny issue, um, and it all ties back to what Dimitri said that actually the 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 China won a war against Japan. Taiwan did not want a war against Japan. Taiwan was part of Japan during the war, so Taiwan was bomb bombed by U.S. airplanes during the war. So Taiwan certainly do not want to fight to represent China. That's why the whole thing about changing the passport, uh, getting rid of Republic of China, because we don't want to be a new China, the old China, the free China. We don't want to, we, have, we want to have nothing to do with China. So that's why we minimize Republic of China, put it in a small circles. Um, that's because we don't want to people to mistake that Taiwan still in some way represent China and we won a war and, and stuff like that. So um, I think this is the direction we need to go, right? We don't want to keep getting into the muddy fight of uh, who represents which China and who is the free China and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so this is something that we are really excited about. And we, so we're looking forward to the version 2, 3, 4 of the new passport and, of course, the, the, the China airline. We, we're looking forward to what they're going to change into next. Dimitri, what did you make of China's reaction? There was some criticism of the passport move. They specifically, the state media in China specifically did reference the the change in the size of the, or the, the shrinkage of the words Republic of China. What, what, what did you think of how China reacted to this? Well, there is a thing also with the word Taiwan uh, about the argument, about the reason why we would switch to a different passport. My concern is that some people in Europe and the United States, when you tell them you live in Taiwan, they say, oh, you live in Thailand. They don't even see the difference. So do we gone, are we going to ask the Thai people to change their passport, change their name and everything? Because we're not responsible because some people don't have a clue about history. They don't remember things or they don't have proper education. You won't change a passport every time. Okay, so when it comes to China, the problem I personally have with the name Taiwan on the passport and the way it's it's featured is Taiwan is also a province of China. And if we go for Taiwan Airlines, for example, there are many regional airlines in China and more people might get again confused by the fact it's called China. Well, it's part, Taiwan is part of China, right? It's a province of China. So when it comes to clarification, that's why I think we should go one step at a time. We should take time and maybe uh, the ultimate goal is to have more people understand the position where is Taiwan and the place of Taiwan in history, but it won't happen overnight. And we might create more confusion by just trying to explain things in a different way. That's where we'll leave it this week, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Buras from Now Media China Post. It was great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> and Xiao Xinxiang, advisor to Legislator Freddie Lin. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on your favorite podcast app where you can get access to all of our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.